Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Perky Avos podcast with Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. For any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlomokohn at gmail.com. For today's Mishnah, we start with Perek Dalid, Mishnah Chav Gimel, Chapter 4, <clears throat> Mishnah 23. Rabbi Shem Ben Elazar says, Al Teratzes Chavercha Bashas Kaasoi. Do not appease your friend in his time of his anger. And do not console him while his dead lies before him. And do not question him about his vow at the time he makes it. And do not try to see him at his time of degradation. So we have four teachings in the Mishnah. And the common thread that runs through them all is that the Mishnah is teaching us that sometimes not doing is doing, and sometimes doing is not doing. I'll explain. It's human nature to try to make things better, to fix things up, to make it that people should not be upset at you. If we make a mistake and someone's angry at us, most people want to fix that. They don't want people angry at them. If someone's hurting we don't want people to hurt. We want them to feel better. So we have an instinct within ourselves and a drive to try to do something, to act, to say something, to try to comfort somebody or to try to appease somebody. The Mishnah is telling us sometimes we need to hold back on these emotions and these instincts to make things better. Because if we let our emotions go, we let our instincts rule, we can make the situation worse. And the Mishnah is giving us four of the most common examples where we need to control ourselves or control our, our emotion or our drive to fix and to do in order to fix the situation. We're going to go through each one of these cases one by one. Let's start with the first one. Do not appease your friend in the time of his anger. It's interesting, Reb Shimon Alazar is the author of this Mishnah. And he's the one who is saying this teaching of do not appease your friend at the time of his anger. Meaning when someone's angry at you, don't try to make up right away and fix things up right away. Sometimes you need to wait. Reb Shimon learned this lesson firsthand. The Gemara in Mesechlis Derech Eretz relates, Tractate Derech Eretz, that Reb Shimon ben Alazar was once riding on his donkey along the seashore. And he came upon a man who was exceptionally ugly. He noticed this, and he made a comment to the man. Is everyone in your town so ugly? And the man responded to Shem Al-Azhar and said, Why don't you ask my creator who created me why he made me so ugly? At that moment, he realized, Shimon realized, the mistake he had done. He got off of his animal. He quickly, he was asking him for forgiveness. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And the man would not forgive. No matter what he said or what he tried to do, he was not going to forgive Reb Shem ben Elazar. So Reb Shimon started to follow the man as he made his way back to his home. When he got closer to his town, the townspeople came out and they started to greet the great Tana, the great sage, Reb Shem ben Elazar. They recognized him. And the man who had been insulted turned to them and said, 
if he is your Rebbe, if he is your Rabbi, there should be, there should be no one else like him. And he went on to tell him the whole story that had happened. The townspeople, realizing that Rabbi Shimon Lazar had made a mistake and he was a great man, appeased the man, you know, worked him over or explained to him that he made a mistake and was able to get him to forgive Rabbi Shimon Lazar. We see that giving forgiveness is not something that people could do right away sometimes. Rabbi Shimon Lazar tried at the moment that he had insulted this man to get forgiveness, but he wouldn't forgive him. It was only after time had passed and other people had appeased him that he was able to forgive. This is a very important lesson. Sometimes when we insult somebody or someone's upset at us, we want to fix it right away. But people who are insulted, who are angry, they don't have the space or the capability to accept or to give forgiveness to a person when they're extremely angry. When someone's angry, they're not necessarily the most rational. And they need the time to just let things pass and then they'll be able to forgive you. And if a person tries too early to ask someone for forgiveness, they're just going to make things worse a lot of times. And on a second note, when we ourselves have that time to wait and to not ask for forgiveness right away. So besides for the fact that we're that the person who was insulted or upset has time to cool off, we ourselves have the ability to think about what we did and to reflect upon it. So therefore, when we come and ask for forgiveness and apologize, we're going to be much more sincere than we were to begin with. So really on both ends, it's helpful for a person to not try to appease too quickly. They should wait a little bit. Let it sink in for you and let the person who was insulted cool down. So it has two parts to it and it's beneficial on both sides. The Mishnah continues, And do not console him while his dead lays before him. When we have people who are hurting, we know people who are pinged, who have a loss, we have to be very sensitive with their feelings. A person experiencing grief or mourning, if we try to console before a person is ready to hear, Number one is we're going to disturb them of their grief and their mourning, which in itself is beneficial to somebody. It's a stage which can be beneficial to a person. So to push them out of that stage too early is harmful. And number two is when we try to console maybe a little bit too quick, we're not empathizing. We're not feeling another's pain. And that could just backfire in a person because a person feels... You know, if, you, if a person comes into a house of mourning and they say, oh, they're in a better place now or it's, you know, it's going to work out. These things are true, but we're not empathizing with the current situation that this person is in pain right now. First, we need to feel the person's pain. Empathize with them. Tell them you care. At a later time, there's a time and a place later on where you could say these things that people are in a better place, you're going to move on. But right now, while it's still fresh, we have to be very, very careful to not do that. Because if we don't empathize, the person 
can be resentful, and we don't want that. There's many stories of great people who came to houses of mourning, and they didn't say a word. They just sat there, and some even cried, and it got back to them afterwards, or people had heard that the the ones who had comforted the family the most was this rabbi or this person who didn't even say a word, that was sincere and felt people's pain. It's important to note that when it comes to consoling somebody, it's not what you do say a lot of time, it's what you don't say. Many people come to shiva houses, houses of mourning, as if they're on a mission. I'm going to make the person feel good. I'm going to make them feel better. I'll tell them this, I'll tell them that. There's a time and a place for everything. There is a situation where we do tell them things to give them strength. But we have to realize that it's just about empathizing. It's about feeling another's pain. And when we come to a house of mourning, we should keep this in mind because sometimes the saying something can backfire and can make things much worse. Third scenario of the Mishnah. The Al-Tishaloi Bishas Nidre. And do not question him about his vow at the time that he makes it. Don't ask someone who just made a vow, why did you do this? So I just want to give a little background about vows. In previous times, there were different scenarios where people would make vows. If someone wanted to do a mitzvah, or they wanted to see something to completion, or finish a mitzvah, or to take something upon themselves, they would take a vow upon themselves in order to finish the, t- finish the mitzvah, or to finish <coughs> to get something done. So it was a way of accomplishing. There's another side of vows that a lot of times people would make vows out of anger, out of haste, because they're upset at someone else. You know, for example, someone would say, if someone was angry at someone else, he would say, I'm not going to have, he'd make a vow that he's not going to have any benefit from that person. He wouldn't eat any food from that person, and so on and so forth. So there's two sides of vows. There's a good side of it that helps a person accomplish goals and spiritually grow. And then there's another aspect of it where people would do things out of haste or out of anger and they would get them into problems. Now the sages enacted a mechanism within vows that if a person made a vow and it was out of haste or it was out of anger and he realized afterwards he really didn't want to make it, so there was a way for him to get out of it. And it's, there's, a different, there's different procedures of how that's done. I'm not going to get into it right now, but they would ask different questions. What did you have in mind at that moment? And so on and so forth. And they would be able to release him from the vow by asking different questions and getting to a certain point. So on a simple understanding, the Mishnah is telling us is that when someone makes a vow, don't ask him, why'd you do this? Why'd you not do this? Because if he answers the questions right then, he's going to lock himself into the vow because if he wants to get himself out of it, the sages aren't going to be able to ask him anything. And they're not going to be able to find an opening to release him from the vow. That's on a simple understanding. When we learn the Mishnah, I always say that for every Mishnah and every teaching in Perkyavos, there is something that we can relate to in 2021 for every person. So vows today are really not so relevant for us. We are careful that when we do a mitzvah, we do something, we do it belineder, which means without a vow. We don't take vows upon ourselves because the transgressing them carries a very serious prohibition. But 
for the most part, vows are not really so relevant today. So we could ask ourselves, what does this part of the Mishnah have to do with me right now? An understanding, which I think could apply to all of us, is that there is a certain tendency within ourselves to question people's judgment. When others make a decision to do something or to not do something, we'll question them. And if we don't question them, we'll think to ourselves, why did he do that? Why did he go here? Why did she do that? And we'll, we'll give reasons why they made a bad decision. So the Mishnah is telling us an important idea. You know, that I mentioned before how sometimes vows were made out of haste, were made out of anger. People didn't think it through all the way. And the Mishnah told us, don't start asking him questions about what he just did. He, he might have made a bad mistake or he was thought too quick. He was too quick on the trigger. But don't ask him about it right when he made the decision. Wait on it. So I want to take that to decisions that people make in their lives or even small decisions or whatever type of decisions people make is that when someone makes a decision, don't question him right then and there. Why did you do this? Why did you buy that? Why did you do that? They're just going to get upset at you. Maybe there is a time to ask it, but now is not the time. Wait. Wait. Don't ask right now. And that's this and that's this thought in the Mishnah. Right when he makes his vow, when he did that a little bit too fast, when they made that decision, and maybe you think they made the wrong decision, and it could be it really is the wrong decision, don't start questioning him or telling him what a bad decision he or she made right then and there. Wait on it. Don't do anything right then. And at a later time, you can bring it up in the right way, in the right context. And do not attempt to see your friend at, at his time of degradation. There's a certain word that we all know. We all do it, and we hate it when we're stuck in it. What is it? It's rubbernecking. What's rubbernecking? Rubbernecking is when we're driving on the highway, and we see on, on the side of the road there's a police officer pulled someone over, or there's an accident. And as we pass by, we turn our heads and stretch it out like a rubber neck. And we look, what's going on? What's over there? But yet at the same time, when we're in the traffic jam, because of everyone else looking, we're complaining about it. But that's for a different time. But there's a certain curiosity within people to see others at their time of distress, at the time when they're down. You know, fine, maybe we don't know the person who got pulled over or is in the accident, but we still have that curiosity. So the Mishnah is telling us don't try to see people when they're in their embarrassing moments. If you know your friend wouldn't want to be seen when he's being taken out of a stretcher out of his house, don't look. Even though you see the ambulance on your block, don't go outside and look. For your friend's dignity, don't do it. Because for the sake of your friend's dignity, hold that curiosity back. Don't look. It is human nature. We want to look, and it's a good, I guess it's a good tendency we have in ourselves at times. But when it comes to seeing what's happening and, and someone else's degradation, we have to be careful to be sensitive towards it, towards others and the feelings of others. So that's this thought in the Mishnah. And I always say, if we want to work on this idea, if we want to work on this idea, a good way to do it is that the next time we're passing an accident, 
for one time, don't look. Because when we do these small actions, it's training ourselves. We're actually making a difference within ourselves. And I feel like it's something that's not talked about a lot today in our society is that the need that for people to work on things, to overcome urges, just to give in to every whim that we feel that we want to do. When we like, you know, you, even though you might think, oh, what's it going to do for me if I don't look at the next rubbernecking accident? If I don't look, no, it does do something. It helps us build our willpower within ourselves to make those muscles of will, to make those muscles of willpower stronger within ourselves. And when we do these small actions, like holding ourselves back from any of these four situations, even in some small way, it makes us better people and it makes us stronger people. Just to recap on these four cases of the Mishnah, sometimes not doing is doing and sometimes doing is not doing. And that's something we should keep in mind when we have the urge to act. We should have the seichel, which means the insight or the wisdom to know when we actually should use those emotions and those instincts to help because sometimes we need to hold back. And that's the thread that runs through this whole Mishnah in all four cases because it's not just these four cases where we need to hold back at times. It could be many scenarios that each and every one of us are in, different for each and every person. And we have to use our insight, our wisdom, our understanding, our life experience, and our learning, which is this Mishnah, to give us the, the direction of what the right thing is to do. So with that, I want to conclude today's Mishnah. I hope everyone enjoyed. If, ever, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlamokon at gmail.com. Everyone, have a great day.